Hi, I'm Stefania Van Dyke, Senior Interpretive Specialist at the Denver Art Museum. For the exhibition, Claude Monet, The Truth of Nature, we created a conversational audio tour in which the exhibition's co-curators, director Christoph Heinrich and chief curator Angelica Danio, talk about Monet and his work. We also interviewed five non-art experts to offer unique perspectives that could help visitors look at Monet's paintings in a new way. In this series of podcasts, we expand on those conversations. Here, I talk with Jim Fleming about weather conditions in Monet's paintings. My name is Jim Fleming, and I'm the Charles A. Dana Professor of Science, Technology, and Society at Colby College. I'm a historian of science and technology, and my special interests are weather and climate. Thank you. So this exhibition is all about Claude Monet's paintings that focus on nature, about how Monet wanted to get at what nature is all about, different aspects of it. Let's talk about some of the winter scenes that we have in the section called In Winter. When you take a look at these paintings from your perspective, what do you see? Well, when I look at the paintings of winter scenes by Monet, um, I see, I think everybody can see, the sky and the snow and the colors and especially the interaction uh, from uh, the sky and the, and the, and the surface. Uh, snow is typically white. Clouds are usually white. Sky is usually blue. But in Monet's landscapes, uh, or more precisely, I like to use the term snowscapes, uh, we are about uh, 30 to 40% in the sky. And there are subtle interplays, the colors between sky and snow. It's all about reflection and uh, response of the two different surfaces. And it seems to me that the trees and occasional buildings serve to connect earth and sky. Were there any particular paintings in this group that stood out to you? Well, the particular paintings that stood out to me, and I would like to comment on, include the uh, breakup of the ice. This was an 1880 painting. We see both ice and water, trees and sky. I'm really interested in how the sky is done in landscape art. There's an implied cold but it's not gloomy. It's not so heavily overcast. There's both ice and water in the clouds. And that's where the snow originates. The snow comes from the clouds. It'll persist longer on the hillsides in the painting. And the trees show intermittent reflections, especially in the mirrored surface provided by the sheet of water on the lake. The ice is going. The water will win out. And spring is near. That's really interesting. So you can almost pinpoint the time of year that he's painting these? Yeah, it comes from the water on the surface of the ice, but also there's a certain signaling in the clouds. And my sense of Monet is that he is not trying to be, you know, he's definitely not the realist painting, as you're calling it, the truth of nature, but it's his impression of his feeling about nature, really kind of capture a moment for us to feel and really feel it emotionally. Right. Monet was trying to capture certain moments in each of his paintings, and they all differ depending on place and time. What other paintings reflect this? Another painting I liked very much was Le Givry. In French, this is the frost. And so the winter of 1879, these were painted in 1880s, the two paintings. Painted in the winter of 79, it was phenomenally cold, one of the most severe of the whole century, the 19th century. And the month of December was the coldest on record in Paris. At the time, meteorologists thought this was due to the highs and low pressures that were persisting in different parts of the world, the clearness of the sky that month, the presence of snow covering the ground, 
and the general calm that prevailed over the region. These conditions persisted for 27 consecutive days in December, and that would have allowed the nighttime temperatures to plummet and for the cold to persist. When Nate provides his impressions of this, what I called hard frost situation, in the colors of blue, brown, and white, in communion with the sky, Monet provides a moment in time and his impression of that moment, capturing in time the fleeting moment of light. And that's another theme. The light is always changing. The landscape is more or less permanent, but the sky is completely evanescent. And by 1880, he was beginning to really reach his pace and enjoyed a bit of recognition and financial successes in this painting. You talked about the fleeting light of nature, and that's a huge theme of this exhibition. Snow can also vary so much depending on the climate. Right. I think of snow as really quite changing, fleeting, as you might say. I think the properties of snow, I think of the following, that it has many textures. There's fluffy powder, not so much in France, in the lowlands. There's hard-packed ice that metamorphizes snow in the glaciers. But in France, it's rather rare and temporary. And so it does snow, but it may not last throughout the whole winter. And snow, as I said before, is not always white, just like the sky is not always blue. And so you'll see a lot of granularity and changeableness and a sense that I feel that Monet can capture a bit of a moment, as I said. He sees the passage of time, but he knows that within a few minutes, maybe the next day, that snow might be gone or different. And so he's very careful about picking the moment to make his impression, not always finishing it, obviously, out in the field, but capturing the impression and then completing that in his studio. And one of the paintings was notable to me, too, the Maisons de la Neige, uh, Norway. He was in Norway for a short visit, and that depicts houses in the snow. I like this one for the way Monet blends the sky, the ground, and the middle landscape. The vivid colors, of it, again, reverberate across the painting. But the snow in Norway was rather stark, and that snow is more or less permanent throughout the winter, so it's not a fleeting thing. You're talking about houses in the snow from 1895 specifically, but as you say, that's different from what he experienced in France. Well, the freeze in the winter of 79-80 was not climate change. It was a meteorological extreme. It was one of those variations that comes once or twice a century and it forms a notable winter. And I think we're really lucky that in a way then Monet captured that notable weather condition for us, which again will not be repeated soon. Let's move on to Venice. Monet went there around 1908. He was really enchanted by the atmosphere. Well, Venice has a unique climate. Everyone understands that Venice is built on the water. And so it's typically very humid, and it's located close to the sea, as well as having the crisscrossing canals. Weather and water conditions are changeable. In fact, they're always changing, with the tides coming in and out of the canals every six hours or so. Most seasons in Venice are mild, but the summers are very hot, uh, maybe 35 centigrade, and humid. Locals talk about what they call, quote, high water weather. When the moon is full or new, the tides are especially high, and a wind from the southeast called the Scirocco brings rain. It comes off the Mediterranean. These conditions provide changing aspects of light visibility, and even the depth of the canals can vary. Most of the skies are blue, varied colors of blue, and up to 45% of the scene is skyscape. 
During Monet's trip to Venice, he didn't seem to be interested in visiting the museums and seeing the old masters. He spent most of his time outdoors. What effects does the climate have on the atmosphere? Climate and atmosphere are different things, but in some of the paintings, for example, the Church of San Giorgio Maggiore, which is on an island, and the uh, Palazzo Ducale, you can perceive the humid marine air in the painting. It actually, even on a clear day at the seashore, especially in a humid city of Venice, the salt in the air attracts and holds moisture. It makes marine haze a common occurrence, and it allows clouds to form more easily and persist. And that's well known in the, uh, in the weather community. Can you expand on that a bit? In looking at the paintings, it is clear, but you can see that there is a, a bit of haze that Monet picked up on, or the impression is that it was clear but hazy, a phenomena you often see at the seashore. Fascinating. All right, moving on to London, which Monet visited many times. We have one painting in this area from 1871, and the rest are from around 1900. So that was when he wrote to his wife, the sun was so dazzling I found it impossible to see. The Thames was all gold. God, it was beautiful. So fine that I began to work in a frenzy following the sun and its reflection on the water. No country could be more extraordinary for a painter. Jim, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I thought after weeks of gloom, rain, and drizzle in the London fog, Monet could appreciate the sun when it broke through. And so it did put him into a frenzy to try to capture that light. If you've ever suffered through a long period of dark and gloom, we don't tend to have winters like that in Maine. We tend to have a lot of sunshine. But when the London sun breaks through, it's absolutely gorgeous. London also provides Monet with the build environment and the changing light conditions that inspired his impressionistic gaze. So whether the London sky is more dazzling than others, it's an interesting quote, but I think it's more poignant when you've had several weeks of fog and finally you get that gorgeous uh, sunlight. The first time we talked, you mentioned that skyscapes were a main interest of yours. What is it about the sky that's so fascinating? I have had a lifelong love affair with the sky, with clouds, with the power of clouds, not just a fluffy cloud like you might draw on a piece of paper with the little round edges, but clouds are incredibly powerful and they are able to bring up tons of ice near the stratosphere. They're the heat engine. They run the spark plugs of the general circulation. They power hurricanes. Jim, what do you think about the sky in Monet's London pictures? With all the industrialization taking place at the time, does the pollution have an effect on what you see or feel when you're in those places? If you do a search for London fog, you'll get several pages of references to rain gear. <laughs> the atmosphere is a fusion of industrial and maritime air in London. Uh, you can see it, perhaps imagine you can smell it in the paintings. In the London scenes uh, of the bridges with the uh, factory smoke in the background, uh, you see the black, yellowish, greenish colors of what I would call the chemical climate. The term smog was coined about this time in the early 20th century. But before that, there were hundreds of deaths from what they called pea supers. Pea soup really gives me a strong visual. Is there a thickness to the air in London? Oh, sure. Well, like I said, you can see it, and you can't see very far down the street. 
you can feel it because there's actual suspended uh, micro drops of water in it. So you can feel the your skin getting moist. And then sometimes you could smell it if it was a real industrial uh, threatening kind of, uh, not the natural marine fog, but the uh, chemical mixture between smog and fog. Smog and fog is a hybrid of smoke and fog. And uh, that can actually be corrosive to your lungs, irritating to your eyes. And if you hang your laundry out, it'll get dirty right away. Thanks so much, Jim, for the wonderful insights. It's been really interesting. Thank you for listening to Beyond Monet. Claude Monet, The Truth of Nature is on view at the Denver Art Museum through February 2nd, 2020. For information about this exhibition, visit www.denverartmuseum.org. Music was generously provided by the Denver Philharmonic Orchestra. This podcast was produced by Postmodern Company in Denver, Colorado. Please check out the other episodes in this series. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe.